That home where God is not being discussed is a cemetery. In today's world, even though they do have some inclination towards self-realization in the Supreme Spirit, most people feel themselves unable to take time out to perform worship and meditation. In such a situation, if the message of the Gita can reach out to every nook and corner of the world, it shall sow the seeds for universal well-being, peace, and prosperity. The divine words of God shall, through these cassettes, deliver the divine message of God contained in the Bhagavad Gita, which translates in English as the Song of God or the Song Celestial. And this is the very essence of a worshipful foundation for the liberation and ultimate happiness of all beings. Om Shri Parmatmane Namaha Yatart Gita Srimad Bhagavad Gita Chapter 8 Yog with the Imperishable God At the end of Chapter 7, Krishna said that yogi who do pious deeds are released from all sin and know the all-pervading God. So action is something that brings knowledge of the Supreme Spirit. They who do it know Him, Krishna, along with the omnipresent God, the Adidev, Adibhut, Adiyagya, perfect action, and Adiyatam. So action is that which apprises us of them. Men who know them are aware, at the end, of Krishna alone. And this knowledge is never blotted out. Repeating Krishna's own words, Arjun raises a question. Arjun said, Enlighten me, O Supreme Being, on the nature of Brahm, Adhyatam, Action, Adibhut, and Adidaiv. The words Adhyatam, Action, Adibhut, and Adidaiv are all mysteries to Arjun, and he wishes to be enlightened on them. Adhyagya katham kotra dehesmin madhusudana prayana kale chakatham who is Adiyagya, O Madhusudan, and how is he enshrined in the body? And how does the man with the restrained mind know you at the end? Who is a Adiyagya, and how is he within the body? It is evident that the doer of Yagya is some soul who is based in a human body. And at last, how does a man with a fully controlled mind know Krishna at the end? So there are seven questions in all, and Krishna proceeds to answer them in that order. Aksharam Brahma Paramam Svabhavo Dhyatma Murchate Bhuta Bhavo Dhavakaro Visarga Karma Sangitaha. The Lord said, 
The one who is imperishable is the supreme spirit, Brahm. Abiding in a body, he is adyatam. And the cessation of properties in beings which produce something or the other is action. The one who is indestructible, who never dies, is the supreme spirit. Steady devotion to the self, dominance of the soul, is adyatam. Before this stage, everyone is ruled by maya. But when a man dwells firmly in God, and so in his own self, he is infused with the sense of supremacy of his self. This is the culmination of adyatam. The seizing, the discontinuance of the will of beings, which results in the creation of both good and evil, is, on the other hand, the crowning point of action. This is the perfect action which Krishna had spoken of earlier as known to yogi. Action is now complete, and henceforth there is no further need of it. Action is perfected when the desires of beings which create sanskar, that are propitious as well as unpropitious, are stilled. Beyond this, there is no further need of action. So true action is that which brings an end to desires. Such action, therefore, means worship and contemplation that are inherent in yajna. Adhibhutam kshara bhavah purushashchadhidaivatam Adhiyagyo hame vatra Dehe deha bhritam vara Adhibhut is all that is subject to birth and death. The Supreme Spirit is Adhidaiv. And, O Arjun, the unparalleled among men, I, Vasudev, and the Adhiyagya in the body. Until the state of immortality is achieved, all the transient, destructible desires are atibut, or in other words, spheres of beings. They are the source of the origin of beings. And the Supreme Spirit, who is beyond nature, is Adidaiv, the creator of all gods, that is, righteous impulses, the divine treasure that is finally dissolved in him. Vasudev, Krishna, is Atiyagya in the human body, the performer of all yagya. Thus, God himself, dwelling as the unmanifest soul in the body, is Atiyagya. Krishna was a yogi, the enjoyer of all oblations, and all yagya are at last absorbed in him. That is the moment of realization of the Supreme Soul, Six of Arjuna's questions have now been answered. At last, Krishna takes up the question of how he is known at the end and never forgotten thereafter. Antakale chamameva smaran muktva kalevaram yah prayati the man who departs from the body, remembering me, doubtlessly attains to me. That accounts for Krishna's assertion that the man who finally, that is, when he has perfect control over his mind and when even this mind is dissolved, severs his relationship with the body and departs from it with remembrance of him, surely achieves total oneness with him. Death of the body is not the final end, for the succession of bodies continues even after death. It is only when the last crust of earned merits or demerits, sanskar, has disintegrated, and so also the restrained mind along with it, that the final end comes, and after that, the soul does not have to assume a new body. But this is a process of action 
and it cannot be rendered comprehensible by just words. As long as the transfer from one body to another, like a change of clothes, persists, there is no real end of the physical person. But even while the body is yet alive, with control of the mind and dissolution of the restrained mind itself, physical relationships are sundered. If this state were possible, after the event of death, even Krishna could not be perfect. He has said that only by worship carried on through innumerable births does a sage gain identity with him. The worshiper then dwells in him and he in the worshiper. There is then not even the least distance between them. But this achievement is made during a physical life. When the soul does not have to assume a new body, that is the real end of the physical body. This is a portrayal of real death, after which there is no rebirth. At the other end, there is physical death, which the world accepts as death, but after which the soul has to be born again. Krishna now dwells upon this. Yam yam vapismaran bhavam Tyajatyante kalevaram Tam tame vaiti kaunteya a man attains, O son of Kunti, to the state with the thought of which he departs from the body because of his constant preoccupation with that state. A man achieves what he bears in mind at the time of his death. How very easy we may be led to assume. All that we have to do is just remember God before dying after a lifelong indulgence in pleasures. According to Krishna, however, it is not like this at all. At the moment of his death, a man can remember only that which he has thought of all his life. So what is needed is lifelong contemplation. In the absence of this, there is no remembrance at the moment of death of the ideal state which has to be achieved. Tasmat sarveshu kaleshu Mamanusmara yudhyacha Mayar pitamano buddhi Mame vaishyasya saushayam So you will doubtless realize me if, with your mind and intellect dedicated to me, you always wage war. How are uninterrupted meditation and combat accomplished simultaneously? It is perhaps the practice of warriors. One goes on shooting arrows while at the same time intoning and yelling names of deities. But the true meaning of remembrance, internal recitation of the name, is something else, and it is clarified by the Yogeshwar in the following verse. Abhyasa yoga yuktena Chetasananyagamina Paramam purusham divyam Yati parthanu chintayan Possessed of the yoga of meditation and a restrained mind, O parts, the man who is always absorbed in my thought attains to the sublime radiance of God. Contemplation of God and practice of yoga have an identical meaning. The remembrance, which Krishna has spoken of, requires the worshiper to be possessed of yoga and a mind so well subdued that it never strays from God. If these conditions are met, and the worshiper then remembers constantly, he attains to the magnificence of God. If the thought of other objects comes to mind, one's remembrance is still imperfect. Now, when it is so subtle that it has no room for any other thought except God, 
and does not countenance any other urges. How can it be possible, along with the act of waging war? What kind of war is it? When the mind is pulled back from all sides and centered on the object of worship, prompted by natural properties, feelings of attachment and anger, of love and hatred, appear as impediments in the way. We try to remember and concentrate, but these feelings agitate the mind and do their utmost to force it away from the desired memory. Overcoming these external impulses is fighting a war, and they can be destroyed only by continuous meditation. This is the war that the Gita portrays. The problem then broached is of the object of meditation, and Krishna now speaks of it. The man who remembers God is omniscient, without beginning and end, dwelling in the soul that rules all beings, the most subtle of the subtle, unmanifest, provider to all, beyond thought, imbued with the light of consciousness, and quite beyond ignorance. God is beyond thought and inconceivable. So long as the mind exists, its urges survive and he is not seen. He is known only after the perfectly restrained mind is itself dissolved. In the seventh verse, Krishna spoke of the worshipper's contemplation of him, and now he speaks of the contemplation of God. So the instrument of meditation is some accomplished soul who is imbued with the awareness of reality. With unwavering concentration, with his life breath firmly centered between his brows by the strength of his yoga, such a man attains to the effulgent Supreme Being. The worshipper who always meditates on God with a steady mind realizes his magnificence when his mind is dissolved by the strength of his yoga by the strength gained from undertaking of the ordained action, which enables him to center his breath between the two brows, so that there is neither inner agitation nor the advent of any will from any external source. In brief, the realization comes in the state in which all properties, sattva, rajas, and tamas, are perfectly quiet. Vision of mind remains steady on self, and it is achieved by the worshipper who always keeps it in mind that yoga is the appointed way of realization. This way is yoga, which Krishna has delineated at length in chapters 5 and 6. He has just told Arjuna, Always remember me. As we have seen, this is done by resting firmly on the precepts of yoga. One who achieves this knows the magnificence of God and becomes one with Him, and thereafter his memory is never obliterated from his mind. At this point, the question of how God is perceived at the time of departing from the body is resolved. Let us now see the supreme condition that should be the worshipper's goal and to which the discourse of the Gita reverts again and again. Yadaksharam veda vido vadanti Vishanti yadyatayo vita raga Yadichanto brahmacharyam charanti Tatte padam sangrahena pravakshi I shall tell you briefly of the ultimate state which knowers of the Ved call the imperishable, 
and which is realized by men who aspire for it, act without desire, and practice continence. As it was observed in the exposition of the 14th verse of chapter 6, continence is uninterrupted concentration on God through a rejection of all external associations from the mind, rather than a mere curbing of the sexual urge. Constant meditation is true continence, for it is this that brings about perception of God and the final absolution. Such an exercise is the restraint of not one sense, but of all senses. Men who can do this are true celibates. What Krishna is going to tell Arjuna about this discipline is therefore something that is fit to be cherished by all hearts. Sarvadvarani Sayamya Manorhidi Nirudhyacha Murdhyadhyatmana Pranam Asthito Yogadharana Shutting the doors of all the senses, that is, restraining them from desire for their objects confining his intellect within the self, fixing his life-breath within his mind, and absorbed in yoga. The necessity of renunciation of desire by a perfect control of the senses is repeatedly stressed. The mind has to be confined within the self, because contemplation and worship are accomplished within the self, not outside. With the mind so regulating the breath, that it is centered between the two eyebrows and, of course, engaged in the practice of yoga, for this is an essential prerequisite. Om Ityekaksharam Brahma Vyaharan Mamanusmaran Yahprayatityajandeham Sayati Paramam Gatim He who departs from the body intoning Om, which is God in word, and remembering me, attains to salvation. The sage who dies with the knowledge that the imperishable God is the one reality achieves the state of sublime bliss. Krishna is a yogi, a seer who has achieved awareness of the ultimate truth. As a realized sage, an accomplished teacher, he exhorts Arjuna to recite Om, symbol of God, and to contemplate Him. All great souls are known by the name of the entity to which they attain and into which they are finally assimilated. It is for this reason that Krishna prompts Arjuna to utter the name of God, but remember his own, Krishna's form. Let us note that he does not tell Arjuna to recite his name, Krishna. With the passage of time, though, Krishna was deified, and men began to recite his name, and they are rewarded but only according to the nature of their dedication. Krishna has told Arjuna that it is he who both strengthens the devotion of such worshippers and determines their rewards. But these rewards are destroyed along with their recipients. It is useful to remember how Lord Shiva, the initiator of yoga, insisted on the recitation of the syllable Ram that signifies the omnipresent God who can be experienced only as an inner voice. Kabir is also said to have committed himself to the constant recitation of the two sounds represented by Ra and M. Mm. And Krishna here advocates the usefulness of Om. God is known by innumerable names but only that name which prompts and confirms faith in the one God is worthy of constant remembrance and recitation. Worshippers are rightly cautioned by Krishna that the name they recite time and again must not be one that might incline or encourage them to believe in a multiplicity of gods and goddesses who are nothing more than a bundle of myth. Om is unique in the sense that it literally betokens that the supreme authority of God inheres in every me. 
so seekers must desist from wandering here and there to find him outside themselves. The revered Maharajaji would often advise his devotees to keep in mind his form while intoning some name like Om, Ram, or Shiva, to visualize him and with him before the mind's eye to remember the identical God, the object of their worship. It is an accomplished or enlightened teacher who is kept in view while in meditation. Whether we hold on to a Ram, Krishna, or a hermit, Sadhu, who is liberated from all desire and pleasure of the senses, or to any other being according to our inclination, we can know them only by actual experience, after which they disclose to us the way to some contemporary accomplished teacher, by whose guidance we should slowly but surely conquer the material world. At the beginning, I too used to contemplate a huge image of Krishna, but this image was gradually erased from my mind by the advent of perception of my enlightened teacher. Novices utter the deity's name, but hesitate to do so while recalling a sage in human form. They are unable to discard the bias of their inherited beliefs, so they call to mind some other false god instead. But this practice is, as we have seen, forbidden by Yogeshwar Krishna as impious. The proper way is to find refuge in some realized sage, an accomplished or enlightened teacher, who has already gone through the experience. Fallacious dogmas are then destroyed, and the worshipper is enabled to set upon real action as his pious impulses and the capacity to act according to them are rendered sufficiently strong. So according to Krishna, the mind is restrained and ultimately dissolved, by a simultaneous recitation of Om and remembrance of his form. This is the point at which the accumulated layers of sanskar, of the merits of action, are dissolved and all the relationships of the body severed forever. A man is not rid of the body by just physical death. अनन्यचेता सततम् योमां स्मरति नित्यशः तस्याहं सुलभः पार्थ नित्ययुक्तस्य योगिनः योगि who is firmly devoted to me and who constantly remembers me and is absorbed in me realizes me with ease. Krishna is easily attained to by the worshipper who has no one except him in his mind and who thinks steadily only of him and always remembers him. The profit of this attainment is portrayed in the next verse. Accomplished sages who have attained to the ultimate state are no longer subject to transient rebirth, which is like a house of sorrows. It is only after attaining to the Supreme Spirit that man is not born again. Krishna then speaks of the sphere of rebirth. Abrahma Bhuvana Loka Punaravartinurjuna Mamupetya Tukauteya Punarjanmana Vidyate all the worlds from Brahmlok downwards are, O Arjun, of a recurrent character. But, O son of Kunti, the soul which realizes me is not born again. The conception of different worlds, or Lok, in sacred books is an exercise in the creation of metaphor. There is no dark pit in the nether world in which we are stung and tortured by venomous creatures called hell, 
nor is there a domain in the sky which we call heaven. Man himself is a god when he is imbued with pious instincts, and he too is a demon when overtaken by impious impulses. Krishna's own kinsmen, such as Khans, Shishupal, and Banasur, were cursed with demoniacal temperament. Gods, men, and subhumans constitute the three metaphorical worlds. Krishna insists that the self, carrying within himself the mind and the five senses, assumes new bodies according to the sanskar earned over innumerable lives. Gods, embodiments of virtue in this sense, whom we call immortal, are also subject to death, and there can be no greater loss than the destruction of piety in this mortal world. What is the use of this godlike body if it works for the destruction of the earned righteousness? All the worlds, from the highest to the lowest, are worlds of suffering. Man alone can shape the action by which he achieves the supreme goal, after which there is no recurrence of birth and death. By the ordained action, man can become God and even achieve the position of Brahma himself, the first deity of the sacred Hindu trinity to whom is entrusted the task of creation. And yet he will not be spared from rebirth until, with restraint and dissolution of the mind, he perceives God and merges into him. The Upanishads reveal the same truth. According to the Katopanishad, the mortal human is capable of being immortal, and within this physical body and in this world itself, he can achieve direct perception of the Supreme Spirit by the destruction of all attachments of the heart. Is Brahma, creator of the world, himself mortal? Krishna said in chapter 3 that the mind of Prajapati Brahma is a mere tool and God is manifested through him. It is such great souls who have devised yajna. But it is now revealed that even one who attains to the status of Brahma has to be reborn. After all, what does Krishna really intend to say? In truth, the sages through whom God is manifested do not have a Brahma-like mind, but they are addressed as Brahma because they teach and do good. They are not Brahma in themselves, for their mind is at last dissolved. But their mind existing in the course of worship before that stage was Brahma. This mind, consisting of ego, intellect, thought and feeling, is truly vast and Brahma-like. But the mind of an ordinary man is not Brahma. Brahma begins to be shaped from the moment when the mind commences approaching the worshipped God. Scholars of great erudition have ascribed four stages to this process, which have been pointed out in chapter 3. If we recall them, they are Brahmavit, Brahmavidwar, Brahmavidvaryan, and Brahmavidwarshit. Brahmavit is the mind that is embellished with knowledge of the Supreme Spirit, Brahmavidya. Brahmavidwar is that which has achieved excellence in such knowledge. Rather than just achieving distinction in the knowledge of God, Brahmavidwarian is the mind that has turned into a medium for the dissemination of the knowledge and for guidance to others who wish to go along the way. Brahmavidwarisht represents that last stage in which it is flooded with consciousness of the adored God. The mind has its existence until this stage because the God who irradiates it is still removed from it. The worshipper is yet within the bounds of nature, and although in an elevated state, he is still subject to recurrent birth and death. When the mind, Brahma, dwells in celestial radiance, the whole being and its current of thought are awake and alert, but they are unconscious and inert when they are beset by spiritual ignorance. This is what has been described as brightness and darkness, or day and night. Even in this superior, Brahma-like state, blessed with knowledge of God and overflowing with his radiance, the relentless succession of the day of spiritual knowledge, 
which unites the self with the Supreme Spirit, and the night of ignorance, of light and darkness, persists. Even at this stage, Maya is still in command. When there is resplendence of knowledge, insensate beings come to consciousness, and they begin to see the supreme goal. On the other hand, when the mind is then submerged in darkness, beings are in a state of nescience, or the lack of knowledge. The mind cannot then ascertain its position, and the progress towards God comes to a standstill. These states of knowledge and ignorance are Brahma's day and night. In the light of day, the numerous impulses of mind are lit up by God's effulgence, whereas in the night of ignorance, the same impulses are buried under the impenetrable gloom of insensibility. Realization of the immutable, unmanifest God, who is indestructible and much beyond the unmanifest mind, is effected when the inclinations to both good and evil, to knowledge and ignorance, are perfectly hushed, and when all the currents of will, the sensible as well as the insensible, that disappear from view in the darkness of night and emerge in the light of day, are obliterated. An accomplished soul is one who has gone beyond these four stages of the mind. There is no mind within him because it has turned into a mere instrument of God. Yet he appears to have a mind because he instructs others and prompts them with firmness. But in truth, he is beyond the sway of the mind's operation because he has now found his place in the ultimate unmanifest reality and won freedom from rebirth. But prior to this, when he is still in possession of his mind, he is Brahma and subject to rebirth. Casting light upon these matters, Krishna says, Sahasra Yuga Paryantam Aharyad Brahmano Viduhu Ratrim Yuga Sahasrantam Teho Ratra Vidojana Yogi who know the reality of one day of Brahma, which is of the duration of a thousand ages, or Yuga, and of one night, which is also equal to a thousand ages, know the essence of time. In the seventeenth verse, day and night are used as symbols of knowledge and ignorance. Brahma comes into being when the mind is endowed with the knowledge of God, or Brahmavit, whereas the mind which has achieved the state of Brahmavidwarasht marks the crowning point of Brahma. The mind which is possessed of knowledge is Brahma's day. When knowledge acts upon the mind, the yogi makes his way towards God, and the innumerable predilections of his mind are suffused with his radiance. On the other hand, when the night of ignorance prevails, the mind and heart are swamped with the contradictions of maya between manifold impulses. This is the furthest limit of light and darkness. Beyond this, there is neither ignorance nor knowledge, because the final essence, that is God, is now directly known. Those yogi who know this essence know the reality of time. They know when the night of ignorance falls and when the day of knowledge dawns, and also the limits of the dominance of time, the point to which it can pursue us. The sages of yore described the inner realm as thought, or sometimes as intellect. In the course of time, functions of the mind were divided into four categories, which came to be known as mind, intellect, thought, and ego, although impulses are in fact endless. It is within the mind that there are the night of ignorance and also the day of knowledge. These are the days and nights of Brahma. In the mortal world, which is a form of darkness, all beings lie in a state of insensibility. Roaming about amidst nature, their mind fails to perceive the radiant God. But they who practice yoga have woken up from the slumber of insensibility 
and begun to make their way towards God. According to Goswami Tulsidas in the Ram Charit Manas, his version of the Ramayana, even the mind possessed of knowledge is degraded to the state of ignorance by evil association. But it is re-imbued with light by virtuous company. This alternation of spiritual ascendancy and decline continues till the moment of attainment. After realization of the ultimate goal, however, there are no Brahma, no mind, no night, and no day. Brahma's day and night are just metaphors. There is neither a night nor a day of a thousand years, nor even a Brahma with four faces. The Brahmavit, Brahmavidwar, Brahmavidwaryan, and Brahmavidwarisht, four successive stages of mind, are his four faces, and the four main divisions of the mind are his four ages, or yug. Day and night abide in the tendencies and operations of the mind. Men who know this secret understand the mystery of time, how far it pursues us, and who can transcend it. Krishna then goes on to explain the deeds that belong to day as also those that belong to night, what is done in the state of knowledge, and that which is done in the obscurity of ignorance. All manifest beings are born from the subtle body of Brahma at the outset of his day and are also dissolved in the same unmanifest body at the fall of his night. With the dawning of a day of Brahmas, that is, with the inception of knowledge, all beings come awake in their unmanifest mind, and it is within the same subtle, unmanifest mind that they lapse into unconsciousness. They are unable to see the Supreme Spirit, but they have an existence. The mind, unmanifest and invisible, is the medium of both consciousness and unconsciousness, of both knowledge and nescience, the lack of knowledge. Bhūtagrāma sa evāyam Bhūtva bhūtva praliyate Rātryāgamevaśa pārtha the beings who thus wake up into consciousness are compelled by nature to relapse into unconsciousness with the coming of night, and they are then, O Parth, reborn with the advent of day. As long as the mind persists, the succession of knowledge and ignorance goes on. So long as this continues, the seeker is only a worshipper rather than an accomplished sage. But beyond the unmanifest Brahma, there is the eternal unmanifest God, who is not destroyed even after the destruction of all beings. On the one hand, the mind that is Brahma is imperceptible. It cannot be known by the senses. On the other, there is the eternal unmanifest Supreme Spirit, who is not destroyed even with the destruction of physical beings, or the destruction of the invisible Brahma, mind, which gains consciousness with the arising of knowledge and sinks into unconsciousness with the setting of knowledge into the darkness of ignorance. 
God exists even after the destruction of inclinations of the mind which wake up in the light of day and fall back into insensibility in the darkness of night. These upward and downward motions of the mind cease only after the attainment of God who is the ultimate abode. With the realization of the Supreme Spirit, the mind is colored by Him and becomes what He is. This is the point when the mind is annihilated and in its place only the eternal, unmanifest God remains. Avyaktokshara ityuktaha tamahu paramangatim yam prapyana nivartante taddhama paramam mama the unmanifest and imperishable God, who is said to be salvation, and after realizing whom one does not come back to the world, is my ultimate abode. That eternal, unmanifest state is called immortal. That is called enlightenment, or attainment of the supreme goal. Krishna says, This is my ultimate abode after attaining which one does not return to mortal life and is not reborn. So now, he tells Arjun the way of achieving that eternal unmanifest state. And, O part, that God in whom all beings exist and who permeates the whole world is realized by steady devotion. Steady, unswerving devotion means the act of remembering none else except God so as to be one with Him. Krishna then reveals when even men of such devotion are within the limits of rebirth and when they are beyond it. Yatra kale tvanam vrittim avrittim chaiva yoginah and, O the best of Bharat, Arjun, I shall now enlighten you on the ways by which, after giving up their bodies, yogi arrive at the state of birthlessness as well as of rebirth. Freedom from rebirth, as we are about to see, is achieved by those who dwell in the light of knowledge. Agnir Jyotiraha Shuklaha Shanmasa Uttarayanam Tatra Prayata Gachanti Brahma Brahma Vito they who depart from the body in the presence of bright flames, daylight, the sun, the waxing moon of the bright half of a month, and the dazzlingly clear sky of the time when the sun moves northwards, they attain to God. Fire is a symbol of God's radiance as day is of knowledge. The bright half of a lunar month stands for purity. The six virtues of discrimination renunciation, restraint, tranquility, courage, and intellect are the six months of the ascendant motion of the sun. The state of upward motion is the progress of the sun to the north of the equator. Enlightened by knowledge of the reality which is quite beyond nature, sages attain to God and they are then not reborn. But what happens to the worshippers who do not realize this state of divine magnificence in spite of their devotion.
धूमोरात्रिस्तथा कृष्ण षण्मासा दक्षिणायनम तत्र चांद्रमसम ज्योति योगी प्राप्य निवर्तते Dying during prevalence of the darkness of a gloomy night, the dark half of a lunar month, and the six months of the downward course of the sun, the yogi who desires fruits of his action attains to the dim light of the moon and is reborn after enjoying his rewards in heaven. That soul is yet far removed from God who departs from the body when the sacred fire of his yajna is smothered by smoke. when the night of ignorance prevails when the moon is waning in the dark half of a month when gloom prevails on all sides and the outward looking mind is infested with the six vices of passion wrath greed delusion vanity and malice and he is reborn does it mean however that along with his body the worship too of this seeker is destroyed शुक्लकृष्णे गति हेते जगत शाश्वते मते एकयायात्यनावृत्तिम अन्ययावर्तते पुनः The way of brightness that leads to God and the way of darkness that takes one to the afterworld the world of manes to which departed ancestors have gone are the two eternal ways in this world one who takes the first achieves birthlessness whereas the treader on the second is subject to repeated birth and death both the ways of light and darkness of knowledge and ignorance have been forever but the merits of worship are never destroyed The one who dies in the state of knowledge and brightness achieves ultimate salvation but the one who departs from the body in the state of ignorance and obscurity has to come back and undergo yet another birth and this succession of one birth after another goes on until there is perfect light until that moment the seeker has to carry on his worship the problem is fully resolved at this point and krishna then dwells upon the means which are essential for the attainment of final liberation naite sriti partha janan yogi muihati kashchana tasmat sarveshu kaleshu yoga yuk You should always rest upon yoga, O Arjun, O part, for the yogi who knows the reality of the two ways is never deceived. Knowing the two ways well, the yogi is aware that his act of worship will not be destroyed, even if he is reborn because of dying in ignorance. Both the ways have also been forever. So Arjun should at all times practice yoga and devote himself to worship for Vedeshu yagyeshu tapassu chaiva daneshu yat punya phalam pradishtam atyeti tatsarvamidam viditva yogi param sthanam upaiti chadyam knowing this secret the yogi transcends the rewards of vedic study sacrificial rites penance and charity and so achieves salvation by his contemplation of god the fruit of yagya the yogi who comes to know the identical supreme spirit by direct perception rather than by just belief or assumption goes beyond the promised rewards and is liberated forever 
This direct perception of the Supreme Spirit is named Ved, that which has been directly revealed by God Himself. So when that unmanifest essence itself is known, there remains nothing more to know. After this, even the need for Ved is therefore done away with, for the knower is now no different from him who had revealed it to their seer composers. Yagya, or the appointed task, was a necessity earlier, but once the reality is known, there remains nothing else to pray for. To subject the senses along with the mind to austerities is penance, but even that is unnecessary now. A total self-surrender in thought, speech, and action is charity, and the auspicious fruit of all these is the attainment of God. And all these are now unnecessary because the desired goal is no longer away from the seeker. The yogi who has realized God transcends the rewards of all these virtuous acts, yagya, penance, charity, and others, and achieves absolution. Conclusion Five main points have been elaborated in the chapter. At the beginning, made curious by problems hinted at by Krishna at the end of chapter 7, Arjun puts forward seven questions. He wishes to know the nature of the Supreme Spirit, Adhyatam, the perfect action, Adhidaiv, Adibhut, and Adiyagya, and how he, Krishna, may be so known at the end that he is never forgotten thereafter. Replying to these questions, Krishna tells him that the one who is imperishable is God. The devotion that secures realization of God is adhyatam. It is the knowledge that brings man under the domination of self by freeing him from the supremacy of maya. Shedding away the innate properties of nature which produce good or evil impressions, sanskar, that is, the annihilation or destruction of these properties, is the perfection of action. There is no need of any further action after this. So true action is something that destroys the very source of the merits that are called sanskar. Transient perishable desires are adibhut. In other words, that which is destroyed is the medium for the generation of all beings. The Supreme Spirit is adidaiv, and in him is dissolved the treasure of divinity. Krishna is himself adiyagya in the body, for all the sacrifices of yagya are made to him. He is the agent who effects the sacrifices, and he is also the one in whom the sacrifices are all dissolved. Atiyagya is someone who lives within the body, not out of it. Arjuna's last question is how he, Krishna, is known at the end. Krishna tells him that men who contemplate him alone and nothing else, and who depart from the body thinking of him, know him by direct perception and become one with what they have perceived. Since they have always contemplated him, at the end, also, they attain to what they have borne in mind at all time. It is not that this attainment comes after physical death. If perfection were to come only after physical death, Krishna would not be immaculate. Were it so, he would not have the knowledge that is gained from the practice of spiritual discipline through a number of lives. The real end comes when even the wholly restrained mind ceases to be, after which the process of assuming new bodies is discontinued forever. The worshipper then merges into the Supreme Spirit and is not reborn thereafter. So Arjuna is counseled to recite the sacred syllable of Om, but contemplate the form of Krishna, an adept in yoga, reciting the deity's name while at the same time visualizing the known form of a noble mentor an accomplished or enlightened teacher, is the key to successful worship. In the chapter, Krishna has also taken up the problem of rebirth and said that the whole world, from Brahma himself to the lowest of creatures, repeats itself. But even after all of them are destroyed, his, Krishna's, 
sublime, unmanifest being, and the steady devotion to him never come to an end. At several points in the chapter, there is a reference to the supreme goal as the attainment of God, who is represented as unmanifest, imperishable, and eternal. Thus concludes the eighth chapter in the Upanishad of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita on the knowledge of the Supreme Spirit, the discipline of yoga, and the dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna entitled Akshar Brahma Yoga or Yoga with the Imperishable God. Thus concludes Swami Adgaranand's exposition of the eighth chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita in Yatart Gita. Hare Om Tatsat.